we all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold in my early days i faced a pivotal moment in my career instead of following the herd into traditional finance i charted my own course despite skepticism i founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility through perseverance i established myself as a leading voice in finance proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed to get what you want sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail that's what harry's did seeing people tricked by expensive razors harry's took a stand Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harris.com slash gold for a $3 trial set. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, we didn't have a Black Monday today, but we did have a pretty big sell-off, especially if you measure the decline from the early morning pop to the late afternoon drop. I think it was better than a 900-point sell-off. Early this morning, the Dow Jones was up about 350 points. And I think halfway through the final hour, we were down as much as 560 points. Now, we managed to recoup a good chunk of those late-day losses in the final half hour with the Dow down just 245 points, just over 1%. The Nasdaq trimmed its loss to 116 points, 1.63%. Of course, All the analysts are focusing on the fact that we didn't close on the lows. Hey, it's strong. Look, we had a huge rally, an impressive rally off the lows. There was nothing impressive about that rally. This actually was a downside reversal. Remember, they were all talking last week about the upside reversal that wasn't when the market was way down and then it only closed a little bit down. That's not a reversal. Today was a reversal. We were way up. And we close way down. That is a real downside reversal. And that's far more significant than the meaningless, fictitious reversal that we had last week. You know, look at some of these individual stocks. Boeing last week, which was one of the only Dow stocks that actually had a good day. Remember, it had better than expected earnings. And Boeing went up. It was down almost 7% today. Boeing getting killed. IBM, though, a much bigger deal, down 4%. 
a new uh, 52-week low, multi-year low on IBM. But this should have been a warning sign right out of the gate. It's kind of amazing that people ignored the news that came out over the weekend on IBM, and they bought the market anyway. IBM announced that it was buying a company called Red Hat, and it's an all-cash deal, and they are way overpaying for this company. Now, IBM is the poster boy for stock buybacks, and the fact that they are throwing this Hail Mary by overpaying for this stock really shows you that time is running out on the earnings manipulation game. And this should be a negative sign because the stock market has been built based on buybacks and manipulating earnings. And if IBM can't do it anymore, then a lot of companies aren't going to be able to do it anymore. You know, the FANG stocks in particular led the declines today. I think all the FANG stocks are now in bear markets. Google, I think, officially now down 20%. That one is doing the best as far as the declines. Amazon now down 25% from its peak, down another 7% today. So much for the trillion-dollar market cap uh, that Amazon was sporting, oh, not too many weeks ago. But the biggest losers are Facebook and Netflix, both down about 35% from their highs. Netflix having a much bigger drop today, down 5.6%. Facebook only down 2.5%, but both stocks at 52-week lows. And I remember, I actually think I did a pretty good job of calling the top on Facebook in my podcast because I remember spending a lot of time on Facebook back when Zuckerberg was hauled in front of Congress, when it was going through the controversy of sharing their customer information with advertisers and how this was terrible and a violation of privacy. And I remember at the time, I said that, the efforts on the part of Facebook to make these changes so that they were not sharing as much information about the users with the advertisers was bad news for Facebook. Because when it comes to Facebook, the people that have accounts, the individuals that have Facebook pages, they're not the real customer. They're the product. The customer are the advertisers. And what makes advertising on Facebook so valuable? Because Facebook can target the ads because you give them so much information that they can share with the advertisers. Now, personally, I got no problem with advertisers having information about me. Why? Because advertisers want to sell me stuff. And so I would rather see ads regarding things that I might be interested in than things that I couldn't care less about. And the advertisers can't force me to buy any of their products. They have to convince me. To buy their products and so that's fine with me if you want to try to you know make me aware of a product that i don't know about that you think may make my life better and i want to know about it and if i buy it fine so i'm not threatened by private companies trying to use information to sell me things that i might want at prices that i find attractive i don't like governments getting their hands on the information where they can use it against me in ways that i don't like and i have no control my relationship with the government is not voluntary They do things to me that I don't want to have done to me. They have force. Private companies can't force me to buy anything. They have to persuade me. They have to convince me. But of course, all the politicians made a big deal about uh, information being shared with private companies. Meanwhile, everything we put on our tax return is shared by the government. Everybody confesses every year. We tell the government, you know, everything about ourselves and they have all the information, all our bank accounts. We, the government requires the banks to turn over all the information. Uh, everything you're doing has to be told to the government. So we have no privacy where it counts, which is privacy from government. 
but they make a big deal grandstanding about uh, private businesses getting some of this information. So I said at the time that what Facebook was doing was going to diminish the value of its product. That if it couldn't share as much information about the users with the advertisers, then the advertisers weren't going to pay as much uh, for access to the Facebook platform. And that was pretty much, you know, around the peak of the stock. And it's been going down. And I think it's going a lot lower. But it's not just for that reason. I mean, all these stocks are going to go down. The multiples are way too high. And the consumer is broke, right? We got the numbers today on consumer income and spending. And the income number was up just 0.2%. They were looking for up 0.4. That was the lowest growth in more than a year uh, in consumer spending. They did revise the prior month up slightly from 0.3 to 0.4. But still, you know, it was a miss. But the spending numbers were revised up from last month from up 0.3 to up 0.5. And this month, uh, spending came in in line at up 0.4, but if spending is going up and income is going up more slowly, what does that mean about savings? Savings are coming down. It also means that debt is likely going up. Remember, one of the reasons that we got that 3.5% preliminary number for Q3 GDP was because of consumer spending. Where did the consumers get the money? A lot of it wasn't earned. It was borrowed or it was they depleted their savings. So this shows that the consumption is not sustainable. In fact, the Atlanta Fed came out with its forecast for Q1 GDP. This is the first forecast that it's had, and it came out at 2.6%. Now, remember, the Atlanta Fed's number normally starts off real high, and then as data comes in, it, it, it keeps working lower and lower and lower until you know we finally get the number. So if they're starting with the bar already down at 26 that's a pretty good indication that by the time we actually get the Q4 number, we'll be lucky to have a one handle on that number. In fact, it may have a zero handle. In fact, the Q4 could be the quarter that we actually go into recession. And, you know, I was on Fox Business today uh, in the final hour. And again, some of the other guests that were on there keep repeating this nonsense that, oh, P I don't believe what Peter's saying about recession because look how good the numbers are. Look how low unemployment is. Look how strong that GDP number was. I made that point in my last podcast. The numbers are always strong when the recessions start, right? The unemployment rate is always low when the recession starts. If you claim that we can't have a recession because times are good, then we would have never had a recession. You know when we have recession? After times are good because then times get bad. I mean, they keep talking about the stock market. Oh, earnings are great. Well, they're always great before their collapse, right? If things are really good, well then, you know, they're not going to get better. They, they have one place to go and, and they can go down, right? So earnings are always high before they collapse. They're always low before they, they bottom out. So you can't simply look in the past and say, well, we're not going to have a bear market because the earnings are good. They're always good when the bear market starts. They're always good at the end of a bull market. I mean, if, if earnings were good, there wouldn't have been a bull market. But all bull markets end. And of course, these guys on, on, on Fox, a lot of the other people were saying, oh, Peter Schiff is saying it's the end of the world. I never say it's the end of the world. I mean, people always want to put those words in my mouth to dismiss what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's going to be the end of the world. In fact, I'm not even saying really it's going to be the end of America. I mean, it may be the end of America as we know it. But look, we're having a bear market and we're having a recession. I mean, they happen. 
right? It doesn't mean the world's coming to an end just because we're going through a recession and going through a bear market. I think what is going to be different, though, about this recession is that it's going to be a lot worse than the ones we've had in the past, including the Great Recession. It could be worse than the Great Depression, but the Great Depression wasn't the end of America. It changed America. We got the New Deal. America became less free as a result of the Great Depression, but, you know, we didn't, we didn't go away. In fact, our heyday, America's zenith of its economic power was probably the 1950s. So we continued to move up in our economic power, even though we were trending down in our economic liberty. But this bear market is going to be much worse than any of the bear markets that we have experienced recently. Remember, ever since 1987, uh, the bear markets have been very short. Right? I mean, because the Federal Reserve, starting with Alan Greenspan, and you know, and I and I wrote Alan Greenspan these letters. You know, you can see these two letters up on my uh, Shift Radio uh, website because I noticed the mistake that Alan Greenspan was making in 1987. I was just out of college, and I could see the mistakes that he made, and so I pointed these out in these letters, and I emailed. I, I didn't email him. I wrote him a letter, and then he wrote me a letter back. We didn't we didn't have emails back in 1987, but uh, in any event. When the 87 stock market crash happened, Alan Greenspan cut rates and printed a bunch of money, and he used cheap money to truncate that bear market, to fight off that recession. And that's been the playbook that everybody has been following, except now, because the debt bubbles are so much bigger, they have to keep adding pages. And so Ben Bernanke added quantitative easing and you know whatever Janet Yellen did, and now we're at um, uh, 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 Powell. But... I think the Fed is no longer going to be able to restart the party uh, with monetary policy. They're going to start, believe me, they're not going to just sit back and do nothing. I mean, right now they're still in denial. They still believe everything is fine. When everything blows up in their faces and we're in recession, when we're in a bear market, well, they will go back to their, you know, their drawing board and you know, go back to that playbook and, 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 and try to run the plays again, which are cut interest rates. And, you know, print money, do quantitative easing. But it's not going to work. See, we were in a long-term bull market in bonds. Bond prices, you know, interest rates, short-term rates peaked out at 20% in 1980. Well, they just bottomed out at zero. Can't go any lower than that. We're not going to be able to go negative. Uh, Long-term rates went way down, too. The yield on the 10-year, you know, got, you know, what was it? I don't think it was ever below 1%, but it was pretty damn low. It was below 2%. But that's it. We've bottomed out. Yields are rising now. And against the backdrop of rising interest rates, the Fed's got no more room. They're not going to be able to pull another rabbit out of their hat. Rates are going up. Inflation is now going up. This is a massive headwind. Before, falling rates were a tailwind. That's gone. The Fed is not going to be able to you know, cause a quick rebound. And so people who have been conditioned to you know, buy the dips, ride it out, hold and hope, that has worked. That worked in the big drop in 2008. It worked in the big drop in 2001. As long as you held on, the Fed was able to bail you out. That is not going to happen this time. This is going to be a bear market like the one we had in the 1970s. A lot of people weren't alive back then, and certainly a lot of people who were alive, like me, weren't investing in the 1970s. I was in school. I was a kid. Uh, during the 1970s. But that bear market started in 1966. The Dow was at 1,000 in 1966. 
It didn't get above 1,000 until 1982. That's 16 years where the Dow went sideways. But you know what didn't go sideways for those 16 years? Consumer prices, the cost of living. The cost of living went way up during those 16 years. The value of the dollar went way down in terms of the Japanese yen, in, to- in terms of the Deutschmark, in terms of the Swiss franc. Gold prices went way up. Right? Gold went from $35 an ounce to $850. Right? Everything went up in price except for the Dow. And that means that people who owned stocks throughout that bear market lost a lot of wealth. The same thing is going to happen in this bear market. Stock prices are going to stagnate. I don't think they're going to go down 90% like they did in 1929 because we were on a gold standard back then. We had real money. The Fed is going to prevent that type of nominal decline from taking place. So nominally, it won't be that bad. But the Fed can't do anything about the real decline. That magic doesn't make the real decline go away. It just makes it harder to notice because the price of other things, the things that you need to buy to live, those things are going to be going way up while the value of the stock market is going sideways with a lot of declines along the way. Now, I think the market is going to continue to fall until the Fed you know, throws it a lifeline, but it's not going to be able to revive a bull market. We are in a bear market and nobody understands that. But again, it's not just a bear market. It is a recession. Now, I didn't mention individual stocks, but look at what happened with GE. I mean, GE is no longer part of the Dow Jones. It did hit a new 52-week low today, a multi-year low, of course. Uh, But now there's talk that GE is going to have to eliminate their dividend, not just cut their dividend, but eliminate it completely. But this is going to be happening to a lot of American companies that pay dividends because you know why? They're going to have to spend more money paying their bondholders because interest rates are going up. Companies have a lot of debt. And as interest rates go up, they're going to have to pay the bondholders more. Well, where's that money going to come from? Well, it's going to come at the expense of the stockholders because they're the residual claim. You don't have to pay your dividends. You have to pay the interest on your bonds. And if you borrowed a lot of money and you got to roll that debt over at a higher interest rate, where's the money coming from? It's going to come from the dividends that you can no longer pay. But what happens to the value of stocks When you can't pay the dividends, well, the stock goes down. But what happens to people who are counting on those dividends, who are spending those dividends? Well, obviously, they have less money to spend. Now, you could say, well, the bondholders are going to have more money to spend because they're collecting interest. Yeah, but what if those bondholders don't live in America? What if they're in a foreign country, right? The, 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 The income is flowing offshore. And a lot of the people who collect the interest on the bonds, right, these are much richer people, probably, than the people who are uh, getting the dividend income that they're living on. I think a lot of the, uh, the people who are in the stock market are looking for growth. A lot of the people who own these corporate bonds are much wealthier individuals, right? A lot of you know, uh, poorer people aren't buying the bonds. They're, they're, they're gambling in the casino of the stock market. And so they're getting uh, some income off dividends. It's, I think, people who have a lot more wealth Uh, that have been loading up on bonds. But hey, they're going to get theirs too because inflation is what's going to wipe out the value of those bonds. And so even though bondholders will be getting more, it doesn't mean they're going to be buying more because even though their coupons are going up, so their checks are going to go up, their bills are going to go up faster. But the problem for the stockholders is 
as their bills are going up, their dividends are actually going down because the companies don't have the money to pay. And of course, as we go into recession and now corporations aren't making as much of a profit, well, that they can't pay as high a dividend. In fact, a lot of companies that were making profits are going to have losses. You know, we've had pretty strong corporate earnings growth just in this recent quarter, probably about a third of it due to the lower tax rate. So that's a one-time boost because we're not going to keep cutting taxes. In fact, at some point, I think in a couple of years, corporations are going to have tax hikes because that's exactly what a socialist uh, president and Congress are going to do. They're going to jack up rates on corporations, especially since the lower rates are going to be one of the reasons that the Democrats are going to use to blame for the recession. So of course, they're going to have to jack the rates back up. But People who point to the fact that we had these good earnings and that's why the stock market's going to keep going up. Look, the good earnings are already priced in. That's why the market already went up. The markets were forward looking. But earnings are always good until they're not. The earnings that are good reflect the past. They don't reflect the future. And what happens is if the optimism that everybody had turns out to have been misplaced, well, then companies are not going to generate the type of sales in the future that they did in the past, and they're not going to generate the type of sales that investors expect. And so there's going to be a lot of disappointment, which means this market is going down. Look, everybody again today was trying to figure out what the excuse was for today's decline. You know, maybe it was Donald Trump talking tough about tariffs on China, but that's not why the market went down. I mean, the market went down because it's a bear market. That's why it went down. I mean, yes, it's not officially a bear market yet because The whole market is not down 20%. All the FANG stocks, they're now in bear markets. They were leading the market up, you know, so they're putting a bite on the market now. It's only a question of time until the entire market is in a bear market, but bear markets don't need a reason or an excuse to go down, although investors are looking for excuses, but bear markets just go down. That's just what they do, right? Bull markets go up, bear markets go down, or probably more appropriately for this situation is that we're in a bubble and bubbles deflate. They don't need a reason. They just eventually deflate. Even if they don't have a pin, they just start deflating on their own. And the air is coming out of this bubble. And so it doesn't matter what the pundits want to try to blame it on for any given day. The market's going down. When there's a rally, it is an opportunity to sell, right? Just like in a bull market, you want to buy the dips. In a bear market, you want to sell the rallies. It's just that investors don't understand that yet because they've been so conditioned to buy the dips. And they've also been conditioned that even if you buy the dips thinking it's a correction, if it turns out to be a bear market, it doesn't matter because the bear market will be short. It'll be over with quickly and then stocks are going to go back up again because that is what the Federal Reserve was able to engineer in the past. But my bet is they're not going to be able to do it again that the next time they try, uh, it's the dollar that's going to come crashing down. They're going to try to suppress long-term interest rates, but they're going to go up anyway. They may be able to temporarily suppress short rates because they directly control that for a while until they lose control. But even if they start buying bonds, if foreigners are selling them faster, or even U.S. companies or pensions or whoever's owning them, if the selling overwhelms the Fed buying, well, then interest rates on the long end could be rising even as the Fed is doing quantitative easing and buying up bonds. And I think that's what's going to happen. And when we have a recession with rising interest rates and rising prices, that is the worst of 
all worlds. And that is an economic environment that the Fed did not stress test. Remember, I pointed this out about the Fed stress test before. They did not stress test stagflation. All the scenarios that they envisioned saw uh, interest rates either staying the same or going down and consumer prices staying below 2%. They did not uh, test any environment where interest rates really go up, even during a recession, where inflation really breaks out, even during a recession. I don't think any of the banks that were bailed out are going to be able to withstand that type of economic environment. Speaking of bear markets, Bitcoin finally started to break down today, and it had been trading right around 6400 for, I don't know, not just days, seems like weeks. The volatility has really been suppressed, and that's caused a lot of Bitcoin bulls to say, aha, this is just uh, the calm before the storm, meaning the next big move up. That, oh, Bitcoin, historically, the volatility comes down just before it makes a big move up. And I think that's more wishful thinking than just, you know, historical analysis. Although Bitcoin has only been around for about 10 years, so you don't really have a lot of history. You just have a short history. And I don't think anything that's happened uh, in that short of history is something that you can say is a reliable precedent. Although, you know, one thing that a lot of people have been arguing recently about Bitcoin is that its value lies in the fact that it's non-correlated. You know, initially they said its value was that it was a safe haven, uh, but it's clearly not a safe haven because it doesn't go up when other assets are going down. So now it's, well, it's non-correlated, right? Because it goes up or down regardless of what other assets do. But I think Bitcoin is actually proving that it is non-correlated. But the problem is, no matter what other assets do, Bitcoin either goes sideways or goes down. Because if the stock market is going up, Bitcoin goes sideways or down. If the stock market is going down, Bitcoin goes sideways or down. So I don't know what kind of value that type of correlation brings to a portfolio if you've got no upside. It's just going to go down, right? It, it doesn't matter what other assets do. Bitcoin goes down. There is no value in that. And I always thought this was a bunch of nonsense trying to claim that the value in Bitcoin lies in the fact that it's not correlated to anything. I think having a negative correlation to something gives you more value because then portfolio managers know that if I add this to my portfolio and this happens, if this goes down, then this negatively correlated asset should go up. But if you have no idea what Bitcoin is going to do, if it could go up or down regardless of what anything else is doing, I don't really think that adds a lot of value. But especially if it just goes down, if it's always going to go down no matter what your other assets do, then it's just going to make your returns worse under all possible scenarios. Now, Bitcoin hasn't completely broken down. It's just kind of broken out of this very narrow band. It's around 6250 uh, now that we speak. So it'd be a little bit premature for me to say it's about to collapse. Also, you know, the price of gold was down a few bucks today. I mean, I do think that Bitcoin's price chart in terms of gold is a lot weaker than its price chart in terms of dollars. But we haven't had any more significant decline in the Bitcoin price in terms of gold since I pointed that breakdown out that happened, I think, a couple of weeks ago when gold was up 30 bucks one day and Bitcoin was down a few percent on the same day. I thought that was kind of the breakdown day. We haven't had a lot of follow through, but I still expect uh, that to happen. In any event, we still have two more days of October. Uh, tomorrow could be Black Tuesday. If we didn't get a Black Monday, we could get a Black Tuesday. I don't know, maybe a Black Wednesday, but that's it. Uh, and then, of course, I'm sure a lot of investors are going to be happy uh, this Halloween Eve uh, to say goodbye to the month of October. But November doesn't guarantee that the stock market's going to rally. And in fact, you know, bear markets don't end at the end of October. 
It's just that some notoriously uh, large markets have declined or begun bear markets with big drops in October. So that's why, you know, I talk so much about it. But I actually think we have begun again this bear market and we're not out of the woods uh, just because we turn a new page on the calendar. I think the market is going down. Now, it's not going to go down every day. There is going to be a slope of hope that this bear market is going to fall. The economic data is going to continue to worsen. And at some point, the Fed is going to take action. Right? The Fed is going to acknowledge the weakness. They are going to reverse course. And they will be able to prop up the market. They will be able to put a temporary floor beneath the market. But at that point, the floor will drop out from beneath the dollar. The dollar will tank. Uh, gold will take off. And the trends that we're seeing now, again, more money. A lot of Some of these uh, foreign stocks... Uh, value stocks that I own had very big up days again today. Uh, the defensive stocks being bought. You know, some of my Brazil stocks that I own uh, had gone way up. You know, the Brazilian election uh, went very favorably. And I think the Brazil story is going to be a strong one over the next uh, several years as far as free market type reforms that are going to benefit investments there. But there were some buy the rumor, sell the fact today. So we did see uh, some profit taking. But we had huge gains in some Brazilian stocks over the last few weeks, as the U.S. market and many markets were getting beaten up, money was going into Brazil, which had already been beaten down uh, many, many months before. And so we saw uh, this reallocation, these, these flows happening beneath the surface that a lot of people aren't noticing. But this is more evidence of a, a changing market, moving from this bull market frenzy, this mania, look at what's happening again to the um, the weed stocks, the pot stocks. I mean, just getting killed. I mean, some of these stocks, uh, you know, down here, uh, Tilray down 17% uh, today, Canopy Growth down 14%. So the speculative froth really coming out of the market, but where is it going? People are going to the value defensive beaten down stocks and they're hunkering down preparing for a bear market. But the real key to my strategy is not just this part. This is certainly a, an important piece of the puzzle. But it's going to be a recognition that the U.S. stock market is not falling in a vacuum, that the U.S. economy is also in trouble, that we are headed to recession. And that means that the Fed is going to uh, reverse its monetary policy, that we're going to get easing money, we're going to get rate cuts, that we're going to get quantitative easing again. We're not going to get a continuation of quantitative tightening. And that is the big game changer. That is the big game changer for the dollar. And that's what really changes the relative appeal of non-U.S. dollar assets across the board. And that's what is going to power uh, the portfolios at Europe Pacific Capital to, I believe, staggering gains. And, and so if you don't already have an account, you really should fund one. If you have an account, you should add to it. If you're still overinvested in the U.S. market, you should divest. I mean, the markets, even though they're down, don't think, oh, it's too late to sell. Believe me, it's early. The markets have barely begun to fall. They haven't even declared it a bear market yet. So this is early in the bear market. It's much better to sell early in the bear market than late in the bear market. That's when most people sell, when they capitulate. They throw in the towel. You know, I'm on the TV show again today, and people are saying it's good news that no one is panicking. And then they're calling a bottom. Look, if you want a short-term bottom, the fact that no one is panicking is not you know, indicative of a bottom. If you want a short-term bottom, you need people to panic because that's what might put in a short-term bottom. But as long as everybody is complacent, then... You know, the bottom's nowhere in sight. I want to um, finish up this podcast, though, and talk about the, the tragic event that took place 
over the weekend on Saturday at uh, that synagogue in Squirrel Hill. I mean, uh, mass murder, uh, a horrible tragedy. Uh, I feel terribly uh, for, obviously, the victims, but the families of the victims and the community that has to go through this. It's a horrible uh, crime, a horrific crime. Um, But I want to talk about it from a different angle, and not even the gun control angle, because a lot of people will be talking about gun control. You know, even Donald Trump said, you know, there would have been fewer lives lost if there was an armed security guard at that temple, which is it's just true. I'm sure if there was an armed guard there, uh, that uh, fewer people would have been shot. In fact, maybe maybe he wouldn't have even shown up. If, he, if, the, if the shooter knew there was going to be an armed guard there, maybe he wouldn't have even tried. But I think what is a better argument a pro-gun, pro-Second Amendment argument is that it's not necessary that there should be an armed guard at every you know uh, place of worship. But if more people in the Squirrel Hill community actually carried firearms, actually you know were trained and 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 had guns, if there were more guns in the hands of honest, law-abiding people, and they had had their guns with them, right? To the extent that somebody started shooting then somebody who lawfully owned a gun could have taken their gun out and shot the shooter. You know, and, and, and that is the, the, the pro-gun uh, argument. It's not you know, that we have to take the guns away from the bad people. It's that we have to make sure that the good people also have guns because gun control simply takes guns away from the good people and ensures uh, that the bad people have guns. But, you know, now you've also got people, too, making the argument that we need to do more to prevent this, that somehow we could have prevented this because he went on this um, uh, social media page. Gab is the name of the page. I never heard of it until this incident came out, but apparently Gab is more supposedly, hey, you know, it's free and open expression. We're not going to censor you uh, the way some of these other social media sites censor. And, And because this guy was posting on uh, on Gab. And I, I think one of his posts, he said, I've had enough, I'm going in, right? And people are saying, you see, that was advanced warning. Uh, the minute he said he was going in, uh, something should have been done. But what? I mean, yes, now that we know what he meant by I'm going in, now that we know that he basically started shooting up a synagogue and, and killed a bunch of people, we now know what he meant by I'm going in. But in real time, if you see the words, I'm going in, nobody probably would have thought I'm going in means I'm going into a synagogue or someplace with a, 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 a you know guns and I'm going to start shooting people. I mean, who would believe, who would think that? Nobody. But if you're going to try to empower the government, if we're going to surrender a lot of liberty to government so that they can, uh, you know, try to, uh, you know, uh, spy on every American, and if any little word like "I'm going in," what well, we're going to send the troops out to somebody's house to arrest people because they 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 wrote "I'm going in." I mean, that, that could have meant anything. We only know after the fact what he meant. Uh, so we don't want to overreact. Whenever uh, we have a loss of life, as tragic as it is, the government always takes advantage of that opportunity to convince us to surrender more of our liberties in order to supposedly garner more safety. Ben Franklin reminded us about that a long time ago, right? When he said, I don't know, what it's something, those who give up essential liberty uh, in favor of safety uh, deserve neither liberty nor safety. And I think something that if it turns out that they value their, their safety more than their liberty, they're going to lose both. So you never want to make that sacrifice. You don't want to make that, that deal with the devil. But, you know, what really bothers me about what's happening now 
is the federal government's involvement in what is a state issue. We are talking about murder. Yes, it's mass murder, but it is murder. And murder should not be a federal crime. It is not constitutionally a federal crime. We, you know, we spoke a lot about the Constitution during the nomination confirmation process for Brett Kavanaugh. Well, the Constitution provides for three federal crimes, counterfeiting, treason, and piracy, or other crimes committed on the high seas. So the only time that murder is really a federal crime is if it happens on a cruise ship. So if this guy had been on a carnival cruise line and he starts shooting a bunch of people, well, then it's a federal crime. It's on the high seas. But other than that, these are unconstitutional crimes. Now, I know they're on the books, right? The, the federal government started getting its nose under the tent. I remember at one time they, they made kidnapping a, a federal crime. And I think one of the reasons was, was because, well, the kidnapping is uh, taking the child across state lines, and somehow that made it a, a federal crime. But now there are a lot of things that are federal crimes. And what makes this a federal crime, supposedly, is that it is a hate crime. And I do not like the concept of hate crimes. I don't think we should have hate crimes. First of all, crimes are not committed out of love, right? If somebody is committing a crime, he's obviously not fond of his victim. If he was, he wouldn't be you know, committing a crime, whether it's you know, robbing from somebody or assaulting somebody or, in this case, murdering somebody. So I think all uh, acts of murder, if they're premeditated, are not benevolent acts. And to me, it doesn't matter um, what is motivating a killer. If he's motivated out of hatred or for something else, I want to punish the act, not the motivation, right? It is not a crime to hate somebody. What is a crime is to act on your hate by killing somebody or, you know, attacking somebody or doing something about your hate. If you want to hate somebody, you can hate them. And if you want to talk about hatred, you can talk about hatred. You can stand, you know, on a street corner and talk about how much you hate the Jews, right? I disagree with that. I'm Jewish myself. But if you want to talk about how you hate Jews, fine. What you can't do is act on that hatred. And what you can't do is incite others to act on that hatred violently. That is a crime. But it should not be a federal crime, right? It should be a crime in the state in which somebody is inciting violence or in which somebody is committing violence. But, you know, the problem is the politicians, A, they want to jump on this bandwagon. Everybody wants to be against hate crimes because supposedly if you're against hate crimes, well, then you're against hate, right? If you don't want to punish somebody uh, who uh, commits a crime because of race or religion or sexual orientation, then, then you condone that, which is all nonsense. You have to stand on the principle of limited government and of the republic. These crimes, no matter how heinous, are not elevated to a higher status because the criminal was motivated uh, by bigotry or by hatred. Look, if somebody were to kill me, I don't care you know, if they're killing me because I'm Jewish or they just don't like the color of my shirt or they just thought it would be fun to kill me. It doesn't matter. I mean, the only time that we should differentiate murder is premeditated murder versus, you know, in, in the heat of passion, right? I mean, if some guy walks in on his wife and finds her in bed with another guy, and in a, just in a rage, he just kills the other guy, right? 
And, you know, yeah, he, he killed him, but it's not the same thing as, you know, if you find out that your wife is having an affair with another guy and then you research the other guy, you find out where he lives and then you buy a gun, you go to his house and you break in and you shoot him in the head while he's asleep. That is a premeditated murder. That type of murder deserves the death penalty. A guy just loses it and in the heat of passion kills somebody. No, I can't, you know, it's not right, but that man doesn't have to be put to death. You can understand the circumstances. He overreacted. Maybe it was unintentional. He didn't mean to kill him. It's manslaughter, right? It's not murder in the first degree. But if you have a premeditated murder, and I have always been of the opinion, and this is not a federal crime, but state crime, murder, capital murder in the first degree, if you plan out and orchestrate the murder of another individual where you thought it out, right, you know right from wrong, and you committed that murder, then that's the death penalty. And we don't have to make it a hate crime to make it subjected to the death penalty. It's the premeditation that is what makes it uh, so, so heinous a crime. And what I don't want is for the government to now to get into people's heads and try to figure out other reasons. Because once you've given the government this power, now you're going to have hate speech. Now you're going to have the thought police. Now you're going to have the government coming up with all sorts of crimes for thinking certain ways or believing certain things. And believe me, this government that we have is going to get very corrupt. And at some point, there's going to be a resistance. There's going to be underground movements, right? People are going to try to overthrow a corrupt government. And then they use all these laws that all these powers that they were able to usurp, you know, when everybody was afraid and everybody thought that the government was going to be benevolent. Remember, every power, every law that you think the government is going to use to benefit you can be used against you, right? If you give the government a club because you think they're going to use it on your enemy, they could use that same club on you. And that is what is going to happen. And that is why you can't let the camels lows under the tent. So all this hate crime, federal government needs to stay out. But of course they're not, right? This is probably going to be federal law. They're going to come in. They're going to prosecute this case under a federal uh, hate crime statute. Um, and that's not what it should be. This should all be done in the states. You know, the individual state where the crime is committed that's where it should be tried. It's local police that should be involved, not the FBI, not the CIA. And this is not, you know, terrorism. This, this is not foreigners coming on American soil. This is, an, you know, this is an American guy, a normal American guy, murdering other Americans. The fact that he murdered them because he didn't like Jews, that's horrible. And I'm a Jew. And I, and I you know, obviously I detest that. But it doesn't make the murder any worse. The people are not dead even more because the guy who shot them just didn't like Jews. Their children aren't going to mourn, you know, any, any longer. You know, they're still dead and it's still a crime, right? And so it's got to be punished as murder, not because of the hatred that the murder felt for his, his victim. Because that way uh, is the primrose path uh, to uh, totalitarianism it is, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And as good as it sounds, yes, let's have extra penalties. Let's make it even worse if you kill somebody because you don't like their sexual orientation or where they pray or, or the color of their skin. Let's, you know, because we want, the, we want all these people to vote for you, right? If we, if we keep elevating, if we make it uh, worse to kill somebody because they're Jewish, 
Well, we think, well, Jews are going to be more likely to vote for me because I've, I've elevated murdering Jews for the purpose of being Jewish. And, oh, I'm going to have blacks vote for me because I said, oh, if you kill somebody because they're black, oh, that's worse than just killing them uh, be, because they're, they're not black. Now, of course, the politics of all this, you know, this is probably going to work, I think, against the Republicans. I actually see a lot of people that want to blame Donald Trump for this because they think that he is inciting this violence uh, with his speeches and the way he talks and, uh, you know, and I, I don't believe that. I mean, I think that this particular individual acted the way he did. And I think he would have done this uh, regardless of Trump being president or regardless of what Donald Trump says. I mean, look, there are people like this that exist. And just passing gun laws are not going to prevent them from getting guns. So the guns are going to be there. Uh, and I don't think it's Trump's fault, but I do see the narrative. I do see Trump getting constantly blamed. And this is more headlines uh, that are going to be dominating the news cycle between now and the election. So when you add this to the stock market collapsing, uh, to the, the bombs that were sent to these Democrats, right, making it feel like, oh, you see, you know, Trump is inciting all this violence. And of course, the bigger problem for Trump is that the criminals, both of these criminals, they're not illegal immigrants. These are not guys that snuck across the border from Mexico. These are homegrown Americans. So a wall wouldn't have prevented this, right? These are American citizens born and raised here who are committing these crimes. So maybe if these were illegal immigrants, it would have been a little bit of a different narrative for building the wall and, and, and to try to blame uh, the Democrats. But just another thing that I think in the news cycle is going to play against the Republicans. The elections are coming up and they're coming up fast and a lot of bad things are happening. And I think whatever positive bump uh, we got from Kavanaugh and the confirmation, that's getting left in the distance and is being overshadowed uh, by events that are going to work against President Trump and against the Republicans in these midterm elections. Oh, 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 oh,